Welcome to Movie Time Capsule, where I tell my guests that the world is ending and they have 60 minutes to fill their capsule with the movies that impacted their life. My guest today is Ryan Airy. He is the brilliant man behind Screen Crush's excellent videos, where he explains movie endings, reveals Easter eggs, and breaks down all the what-the-fuck moments in blockbuster movies from Marvel to DC to Star Wars and also TV shows. In this episode, I throw some pretty tough MCU trivia at him right out of the gate. Later on, he tells me what buddy film he would like to see happen if he could pair up any two characters from any universe. He draws up some interesting parallels between Todd Phillips' Joker and a politician. He'll also come up with a hilarious idea for a Captain America cosplay. And you might be surprised by what he thinks is the scariest movie ever made. I'm your host, Luke Cheney. Let's go. It is time to talk about movies. All your favorites. All your loved ones. We will hear them. And we'll cheer them. It is time for Movie Time Capsule. With me today is a cinefanatic. He eats movies for breakfast. He makes videos for dinner. He is a legend among movie lovers. Welcome to the show, Mr. Ryan Airy. Hey, thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I am I'm excited to hear your picks. I know that your your most of your life is is Marvel and DC and Star Wars. So I'm excited to see what's behind the screen crush, Ryan. Well, I'm going to try not to talk about any of those things because uh, a lot of people like on Twitter, people be like, oh, you ever do this stuff about Marvel and Star Wars? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why you're here. But like I, I watch movies. I see dramas and things. I can hold my own. <laughs> it just so happens that you get paid to look at all of the, the big franchises. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody ever started following me because of my views on the Naked Gun series. You know what I mean? Oh, that's right. That's right. So I usually do trivia with my guests. Mm-hmm. It's usually at like the halftime, but I thought it'd be fun to really kind of quantitate and demonstrate to people your your deep knowledge and kind of how you are a legend. You may not call yourself a legend, but you do have some serious knowledge when it comes to the big franchises and the big movies that you know everyone in the world has probably seen. Are you down for like five questions of trivia? Yes, only five. Are you kidding me? Let's pub quiz this. <laughs> Let's do it. And again, I apologize for Doug. Doug's going to bark. If you watch Screen Crush, you know Doug from the Insulates. You might get to hear him speak here in a second. So sorry about that. If you get one wrong, Doug might bark. (laughs) Okay, so these are all going to be Marvel canon questions. Okay. First question, what song plays at the beginning of Iron Man 1? Uh, Back in Black. Back in Black, that's correct. ACDC, nice job. Mm -hmm. What superhero is on the cover of the very first ever Marvel comic? Uh... Well, the characters on the cover, the original Human Torch and the Submariner, but at the time, Submariner was more of a villain, so he wasn't really a hero on the cover. Killing it, killing it. I thought that was going to maybe get you, but... That's that's a pretty famous cover. Pretty famous cover. Yeah. Awesome. Next question. In Captain America, the first Avenger, where does Peggy Carter tell Steve she wants to meet him for a dance while he's plunging into the ice? Where does she say they want to meet for a dance? That's a good question. I don't remember offhand, but I'm going to guess the pub that they all drink at. Nope. Uh, It rhymes with pub. It was the Stork Club. Yeah, no, I didn't know that one. Which I believe is a real place. I bet they do crazy business based on that Easter egg. (laughs) (laughs) If they're still around. People coming in cosplaying as Steve and Peggy. (laughs) But like Frozen Steve, you know, like with the icicles hanging on. That's a good cosplay, actually. I wonder if people ever do that. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Frozen Steve. (laughs) And like a corpse of Bucky because in the comics he dies but whatever right right what cameo role did stan lee play in ant-man in ant-man he was the uh 
with the bartender that Luis is talking about when he's describing like how he met Falcon. That's right. That's right. Four for four. For a second, I almost said Ant Man two because his best cameo was in Ant Man two when uh, the car shrinks and he says the sixties were fun, but now I'm paying for it. <laughs> That's a good. One. I like the uh, the cameo from uh, Captain Marvel where he is on the Aww. subway train. The one that made Kevin Smith cry. He is, what is he? He's like reading something about himself. Is that what it is? He's reading the screenplay to Mallrats, which he, see, right. St- Stanley's first ever cameo was in the trial of the Incredible Hulk TV movie, right? Then Kevin Smith, who's a big comic book fan, was one of the first people before comic book movies were cool who was had, who had characters talking about comics and characters, not just from the movies, but from the actual comics. And so he had Stan Lee appear as himself to give the main character advice in the movie. So Stan Lee was reading because the movie takes place in 95. Stan Lee's reading the part that he would have played in Mallrats, which when you think about it too hard, it'll make your brain burst. Yes. Because it's like, wait, does that mean Stan Lee exists in that universe? Like, how is he doing that in this thing? Is Did Stan Lee create different comic book characters in, in the MCU? <laughs> but it was, but it, that made Kevin Smith cry. He tweeted a photo of himself crying and said, now the things I reference are referencing me. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really yeah, special. Really sweet. Cool. Yeah. Number five. How did Tom Holland discover he was chosen to play Spider-Man? So, I don't know. I want to know. It was a post on Instagram. I think it came right from the Marvel page. <laughs> they didn't even call him. Or maybe John Watts. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. Whoops. That's great. That was a long audition process. They talked to all kinds of actors for that. Right. Yeah. I think they did the right thing. Yeah. I, I'm loving him and I can't wait to see uh, the next one and the next one. All right. I've got one more for you. What Marvel planet is larger? Kreelar or Ego? Kreelar? Uh, don't know a planet called Kreelar. Um, but e- Ego is not that big. So I'm going to say Kreelar. Nope. The answer is your mom. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, that worked. That got me. Yeah, no, that was a good one. From what I from what I saw online, Krelar was previously Hala. Oh yeah, that well that makes sense because the Kree live on Hala, so that makes sense. Okay. I was like, is that a planet that was conquered by the Kree? What would that have been in? I was <laughs> trying to place it. You fooled me. Well done. Well, nice job. You you got four out of the five. That's great. Thank you. Well, I did my best. Store Club was a hard one. That's a deep cut. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan, the way that I came across you and your world is through watching the Watchmen series. And mm-hmm. when I was watching, I could just tell that there was more things going on than I could that I knew about. I didn't read the um, the series, and so your videos actually made me appreciate the show so much more than I ever could by themselves. So thank you. I appreciate. I want to say thank you for that. And um, if you haven't seen Ryan's videos, he has a lot of the answers, or at least a lot of the theories. Yeah, I do my best. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of other people out there. You know, we all kind of do similar things, but um, I always try to add like a little bit of a an extra insight, like the meaning of this, and not just saying like, "Hey, this thing references that thing," but like, say why? Why did they choose that particular thing to reference? You know, to give you like a, a little extra layer of you know what what this thing actually means. Yeah, I love it. Like, there's always so much care and um, insight that you give to your videos that. If you don't have a friend to talk to about the Marvel Universe, you've got one online that will talk yeah, to you in, one, in a one-way true. channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, we have the comments. We have Twitter. There's a little bit of a discourse there. Is it weird for you to have that? Because, you know, before, how long have you been, how many years have you been doing the Screen Crush? Um, off and on since 2017, but full-time since about mid-2019. Is it weird to you 
now that you have all of these people that can interact with you that, you know, just have all of these comments, sometimes negative, sometimes positive, sometimes that can open up your mind to new things. I mean, no, it's an extension of what's already been happening for years. I mean, I, uh, I can't, I'm, I'm from a small town where not many people in our school read comic books. So my best friend was another big comic book fan. So he and I, you know, had been going to these movies together probably since X-Men was probably the first comic book movie we saw together. And I don't think until like we lived in different cities and stuff, I don't think we saw one without each other all that time. Cause that's the person you want to experience it with and talk to afterwards. Same goes yeah. for you know, various comic book TV shows and stuff during that time. So for me, all of this online stuff in the comments or on Twitter, it's, it's just like getting, it's just like having more friends I can talk to about this stuff, you know? So that's a natural extension of it. The weird, the, it's a little, I don't say strange, but it's a little out of the ordinary when people recognize me on the street because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the videos, some of the videos I, I used to be in all of them before COVID. And now a lot of them are just audio till we get our studio set up again. I still get recognized. Like I got recognized at Disneyland, <laughs> which was strange. I've had a couple people get selfies Yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just the guy who talks about the cool things. I'm not the cool thing. <laughs> but it's always really cool. Like the and even then, when people recognize me, the best part is I can always say, "Hey, what are you into? Yeah. What do you? What did you think of Loki's finale? Like that's the best part is like getting able to just like talk to another nerd for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool that people want to engage with you and you and you want to engage with them on the on the same level. Yeah, it's the most fun part about it. I have one more question for you. If you could team up. Two characters from any universe, doesn't have to be comic books, for a TV show or a movie, kind of like Falcon and Winter Soldier. Who would you choose? Oh, okay. All right, so we're doing a buddy a buddy team-up movie. Yeah. And I can pick two. From anywhere. Two people. All right, so dynamic-wise, you got to have your, your, your straight arrow, right? You need that person. Let's think here. Who's, who's a great straight arrow character? Oh, got it. I wasn't even trying to think of superheroes but i got a pretty good pair ben affleck's batman and deadpool oh yeah they would you get the ultimate brooding serious guy and this person who would just completely take the piss out of him the entire time yeah they would hate each other they would hate each other It'd be a great movie yeah that's pretty great wow never fails ryan airy okay i just got a notification on my computer i don't know if you did too but it looks like there are zombie hamsters that are going to take over the world. We've got about 16 minutes, I think, before they attack our cities. Oh, dear. That's awful. It's time to put together your, your capsule. Okay, let's do it. We've got to save your movies. So for my first question, uh, it is, what's the first movie you ever bought with your own money? Whether it be a VHS or DVD? I remember the first DVD. It was a DVD of Andy Kaufman on a TV show called The Midnight Special, and I bought it before I even had a DVD player. I, I could not tell you the first VHS that I bought. I couldn't. First movie would have probably been, uh, that was a gift. The first one I remember getting movie was Tombstone. All right. It was a box set of Tombstone, yeah. Yeah, I didn't buy it myself. It was a Christmas present. One of my all-time favorites, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Box set. It's crazy that you would buy a DVD before you had a DVD player. Does that mean that you like just had the foresight that you wanted all the bonus features and eventually would get there? Didn't even know there were bonus features then. That's because I was a massive Andy Kaufman fan. And at the time, it wasn't there was no YouTube. So the only way to really find material on him was if you saw a special online. So I taped a few specials that were about him, but there were very few like raw unedited performances. So when I saw that, I was like, well, I'm going to get one someday. And so I picked it up. Got it at Kmart. <laughs> oh, good old Kmart. That's good old awesome. Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> What's a movie that blew your mind when you watched it? 
not the entire movie, but I'll tell you a scene that blew my mind was uh, the life of Brian, Monty Python's life of Brian. There's a part in that when Brian is being chased by Romans and he's running up this tower and, you know, they cut away to the guy who's like working on the tower and he drops his hammer to show you how far the fall is. And then Brian runs to the top of the tower. He just runs straight and falls off and he's plummeting to his death. When aliens in a ship come by, he lands in the ship. The ship goes out to outer space. Uh, another ship shows up and it's this giant galactic conflict. And, and then the other ship shoots down the ship Brian's in. It's these weird aliens with like eyeball, one eyeball that's out, obviously held by a hand. And the ship crashes and Brian gets out. And this woman just says, you lucky bastard. <laughs> and that to me just was something I'd never seen in movies before. Now that kind of thing happens all the time in like Rick and Morty. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I think Dan Harmon probably owes the Python some money just based off how much that scene <laughs> must have influenced him. But that scene to me was just like, it was a way for him to survive the fall. It was akin to divine intervention, which is what that movie is, is satirizing. But also it was just, to me, it was like this idea, like, wow, you could do that. You, you can make that happen. You, you can do anything you want in a movie yeah. and make it make narrative sense. It was just, a, it blew my mind. Do you remember how old-ish you were when you, when you saw that? Oh, probably 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. What a great time to discover Monty Python. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to say 17 for sure. That seems right. Love it. Uh, what movie would you choose to show someone if they were having a bad day and you wanted to cheer them up? Uh, Babe. Babe. First Babe. Yeah, Babe. Great movie. It's it's just uh, it's the kind of movie where every character in it has a. Ch- I mean, all the male characters, all the human characters at least, have a choice to be compassionate and good or to act out selfishly, and it shows that good wins. Yeah, great movie. It's been a while since I have seen that. I can barely remember the themes or. I just remember the old man just being, you know, so mean and cold most of the time. Well, you think that just because he's quiet. And that's another thing, too, especially for kids. You know, kids tend to look at old people and they're so different from them. You know, like if you didn't grow up with grandparents and old people are just scary. Like Home Alone. Like Home Alone is a perfect example, both of them. Although you'd think Kevin would have learned his lesson by the second one and been like, hi, nice old lady. <laughs> but maybe it's because she was homeless, which is also another thing that people do. They make homeless people into not people and they're you know, the other and things like that. But I think that was a great lesson for kids. Like this person could just be quiet. You know, they could be shy or keep their thoughts to themselves. Yeah. But, you know, you do see that like in the movie, he he really starts to care for Babe. Uh, it's not overly dramatic. He would never cry or anything like that. But like he he nurses him back to health. He puts him in this contest. It's also just a movie that says like, hey, it's okay to be weird. It's okay to be an outcast. That's how we change, prove, and, and grow, improve and grow. Well, that does sound like a great movie to cheer someone up because we all feel different at times and we all feel not a part of whatever circle that we would like to be a part of. And um, mm-hmm. it's okay to be weird and different because eventually you'll find someone that's like you. Or, you know, learn to talk to sheep and get a new career. <laughs> this is what Babe does. Also an option, yeah. Now, I don't think I've seen many videos on Screen Crush about scary movies, horror movies. Are you a fan of them? Do you watch them a lot? Uh, not not like traditionally. The reason you don't see them on Screen Crush is because they cracked down on the algorithm a while ago. And like any movie that even had horror in the tags of the description would get flagged for uh, offensive material. Got it. Um, but no, I, I didn't. I was not a huge horror fan. I kind of rediscovered. I kind of discovered the genre a little more like later in my twenties. Is there a movie in particular that? Just scared the crap out of you that you will always remember. The birds. The birds. Yeah, scariest movie ever made. Because it's 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 a thing that could theoretically happen. Sure. You know, like it, it evolved like compared to say the happening where the plants, you know, the birds you can actually see and 
Yeah, no, The Birds is a terrifying movie. Yeah. That scene where she's outside the school and then there's just gradually more and more of them on the jungle gym. And it's like this like cloud that's coming behind her that she can't see. Terrifying. That suspense. It's great. Yeah. Odd suspense. Love it. Speaking of Hitchcock, one of the best filmmakers, is there a movie that got you into filmmaking and, and making videos? Uh, I, I have more of a comedy background. So I think back like when I got my borrowed a VHS camera and I started making my own movies at the time, Austin Powers, yeah. a lot had like, it was around the same time, like 17 copied a lot of jokes directly from that. And <laughs> I think it was also just like, it was bright and cartoony and I'd never even really seen a James Bond movie at that point. So I wasn't even into that part of it. And Woody Allen's take the money and run was also one that like, kind of like those Monty Python movies had the silliness but it was trapped inside of a structure, like a, a mockumentary structure where everybody was taking it very seriously, but the movie didn't take itself seriously. Got it. Especially there's one scene in Take the Money and Run. It, Woody Allen plays a criminal in it, appropriate, who um, <laughs> is, he snatches a purse and from this woman in the park. God, it's really a shame. God, why, why are people so bad? Oh, I hate even praising this movie. Anyways, uh, he steals a, steals a purse from a woman in the park, and he runs away, and it's a whole chase sequence, and he gets away with the purse. And when he opens it, you know those cans of, like, snakes, and the snake will, like, come out of the, the can oh. of peanut brittle? Yeah, it's that, ex- except it's in the purse. And it's just, like, three snakes come out like that, and it's <laughs> shot super dramatically from, like, three different angles, like, <laughs> I just love that moment. So that, that was another big influence. That, that one moment of take the money and run. <laughs> really big influence on that. <laughs> a seminal moment of, of a purse gag. That's pretty cool. Are you much of a crier? Is there, is there a movie that makes you cry every time you watch it? Oh, I, I'll cry all the time. The only superhero movie that would really get me to cry is Spider-Man 2, I think. But off the top of my head. But yeah, like I'll, here's an example that made me cry when I, was, when I was not a kid, but when I was like 18 or 19, I rewatched this movie that made me cry. And then the other day I was telling some friends about it and I was like, this movie isn't even on streaming. Oh, it's on YouTube. Let me show you this part at the end. And I like, I'm 40 year old man. And I cried like a baby at this scene. And it's the brave little toaster. Okay. It's there. If you've never seen it, it's, it's kind of a proto toy story, except it's about appliances. It's about a lamp and an electric blanket and a radio and a toaster and a vacuum cleaner. They go to, <laughs> saying it out loud. is so dumb. They go on a journey <laughs> to find the little boy who lived at their house, their master who abandoned them. Cause now he's going to go to college and stuff. But the point is like this kid shares the affection and genuinely loves his toaster and lamp. <laughs> he sees him. It's like my lamp. He's so happy. So anyways, they're in a junkyard. It's like toy story three. And the, the guy gets pinned by the wreckage and the, the guy's going to die. And the brave little toaster just sees what's happening. And he climbs up to this tower and he sees the, and he, he jumps into the gears and it, they just tear him apart. And he sacrifices his life to save his friends. It's where the title of the movie comes from. It was a very brave thing for that little toaster to do. And uh, yeah, that's Brave Little Toaster. And I was a grown man and I watched it and I, I, it got me. It's really good. It's really, I don't even know if the movie's good, but that's a really good moment. It's really well done. When he's getting crunched in the gears and just more and close up, more close up and crunched. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow, awful. Like it, it's very visceral. It's a lot for a kid to take. Yeah. Brave little toaster. Cry, cry, cry. I'm, I'm also uh, a big Spider-Man fan of, you know, the Tobey Maguire. I mean, but all Spider-Man mm-hmm. in general. Um, yeah, sure. Especially number two. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's the moment that gets you? Oh, the, in... the train. When he sacrifices. Oh, God, so good. We made a whole video about it. When he 
you know, does the thing and the, the, the Christ pose and he falls back. And when they, they carry him along and what really did that for me was, um, and you know what? Spider-Man one, I lied. Spider-Man one, the part where everybody's, this is New York. You know what I mean? And then that always gets me too. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. Right. And I thought for years that was Herc from the wire, but it's not <laughs> anyways. So that moment when, when they're looking at him and they say, he's just a kid. He's my son's age. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Because that's when they realize that like anyone can be a hero, which is what that those movies I think are really about. Like I believe there's a hero in all of us. That just little moment there where like people felt empowered by a hero and they felt inspired by him. I think a lot of superhero movies pay lip service to that. I think they try mm-hmm. to emulate that, but that movie just didn't have to try. It just showed it. Just did it. It didn't have to tell you. It showed you. A lot more inspiring than all the crane operators in the city arranging for Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Right. Helping him web sling because, you know, Spider-Man can't web sling without a crane. <laughs> now that you bring that up about Spider-Man 2, usually civilians, bystanders in any movie, they really don't get much screen time. But it really slows down and you get to see all these people's reactions and there's mm-hmm. real lines given. And it kind of grounds Spider-Man as as more of a real life character, not a comic book character, but like a, mm-hmm. a real life thing in, in New York and... Yeah, it really makes the moment more real. Um, even though those movies, those Raimi movies, are very colorful, they are very cartoony. They are just able to pause for those moments, of, like very human reflection, like with him and Mary Jane. Like those, those actors really bring it in those movies. And you see, like it's interesting you mention that because, like in the Spider-Man movies, the bystanders were participants of what was going on. You know, they were very much a part of the action. And then in the MCU especially early on, like with the Avengers and Age of Ultron, especially Joss Whedon was very good at including extras as part of the action. Um, he, he would usually pick like a pretty blonde woman to be your focus, which right. seems sexist, but it, but it works. You know, it, it did draw your eye to the waitress and to the, the woman in Sokovia. So then you, you had more of a threat of like peril for them. And even in the first Iron Man, he picks up the family in the car, which is a very much an action movie beat. Like you see that in a lot of 80s action movies. They'll take a moment to like show the people and have a little comedy moment. Yes. Like in Con Air when the guy's cleaning his windshield with the bird poop and the body, Dave Chappelle's body falls on him. <laughs> but this, I'm going to, I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to criticize the Russo brothers because they absolutely eschewed all that. There, there are no bystanders allowed in a Russo brothers movie. True. Civil War. Oh, we evacuated the airport. Well, wasn't that lucky that you were able to yeah. evacuate the airport? So this, and in, the, in that movie, it made a little more sense because you don't want the superheroes to like hurt civilians because they would have stopped. They would have just stopped right then and helped the civilian. I get that. Infinity War, Doctor Strange apparently can just whisk away, hunt. I mean, this is New York. There's thousands of people in front of me right now outside my window. I just can't see them. <laughs> so he got all them out of the way. That's great. He's God. That's a, a power Doctor Strange has never had before, but he's now God. And then on Wakanda, well, thank God we didn't have to fight the battle in the city. We could go to this big empty field outside of Atlanta and fight there. And then even an endgame, there's never a threat of an actual person except for the people who have been snapped. And I think maybe that's part of the reason is they saved that very real peril for the ending for the characters we actually relate to. That was a tangent. No, it's very valid. Like you don't really think about it that much, but there's a, you lose a little bit of these stakes when there's not a civilian population around the, uh, the damage that's about to happen. Well, in Infinity War, it just would have gotten in the way. I, you know, that movie had to be so, like, no, there's no loose fat on that, uh, except for Thor's journey. But 
how excited are you for Sam Raimi to be back directing a, a comic book movie? I'm excited for Sam Raimi to direct any movie. True. I, I, I love Sam Raimi. I'm super pumped that he's coming to Doctor Strange and everything, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it. Yeah, they haven't released any video from that, right? There's, we're in the dark. Every day I check Twitter to see if the trailer's out. Because <laughs> when it is, everything else has to stop, and that's what we got to work right. on for the day. For the next two, three days. That's going to be a good day. Okay, this next question is probably gives my guests the, the hardest time. But the question is, what movie character do you relate to the most? It's a hard question because you want to, on one hand, you want to be like, I am the most like Steve Rogers. But who is? Yeah. Movie character I relate to the most. Luke Skywalker. All right. Kid, small town, big dreams, you know, all that gets to be middle-aged, realizes life isn't all that great, just wants to be left alone. Pretty much hit the nail on the head. He just wants to go to the Tashi station. He just, he just wanted those power converters, man. Uh, I mean, that, that's always like, I always kind of retreat to Star Wars and I try to think of examples uh, of things. But it's, it's tough because there are different aspects. Like, I'm a person, like, I very much value work ethic. I value, I value your, having a code, being honorable, you know, so in that way, I am a little bit like Steve Rogers or Superman or even Worf from Next Generation. You know, there's certain aspects of that. But on the other hand, like, I got a real bad temper. So, like, you can also say that I'm hmm. like Tony Soprano in that way. You know, like, it, it's it's hard for me to pick, like, one character. Let's say Screen Crush went away tomorrow. Is there a type of video essay that you would like to make yourself or, a you know, like the Naked Gun series that you brought up? Is there <laughs> something that... Is that just your own niche that no one really appreciates? Well, I don't, no one's telling me what videos to make. Okay. It's Screen Crush. Uh, no one, you know, for the most part, every now and then, like, there have been times when a trailer has come out and I'll be like, oh, I really don't want to make an Easter egg video about this. I have so much else to do. But then people are like, you should make it. Okay, fine. I'll make a video about it. But I, I, I could invest the time into whatever I want. It's just always this, like, this cost balance, you know? That being said, yeah, here's an idea I've wanted to do for a long time. And I don't think I ever will on Screen Crush uh, about my favorite movie of all time is Network. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it occurred to me um, when, especially after the insurrection and seeing how people like rush. I'm going to get a little political. Sorry about that. But seeing how like people, certain ah. people live in an alternate reality as far as like not understanding how other parts of the country live or how other marginalized groups live, but also just denying reality and saying, no, we won. Uh, of course we won. We're great. We're awesome. And just absolutely wearing these blinders and donald trump's also a fascinating case because i think you can look at him and you can see enormous parallels with the joker with the movie the joker the todd phillips movie which is a video i think i can make but you know you could do a side by side of those two things and i'm sure that's not what todd phillips had in mind when he created that movie but you know you have this person who uh like donald trump sort of reached out to a, a portion of the population that felt overlooked and felt like they were marginalized and who, in their mind, you know, it was no bullshit straight to the camera and saying what is and what isn't, or at least sounded like they did. So to go back to Network, everybody knows that famous speech from Network. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yes. And then the people all around the country open their windows and yelling. It's this big moment in the newsroom. They're yelling in Topeka. They're yelling in Omaha. What occurred to me in a rewatch, I think shortly after the 2016 election, was the, the term mad has two meanings. It can mean angry, but can also just mean insane. Right. And I, I think that Patty Chayefsky hinged on that word. I think there was a reason that he chose mad 
when another synonym might have worked, even though Matt has that direct punch to it. And I think that you see this in the population in different eras. I'm just using, I'm picking on Donald Trump and, and his, some of his supporters, but sure. I think you can, you can look and say different times in history, anyone on the political spectrum has, has, has done that, has like embraced madness. But yeah, that's, that's one I would love to do. Like the meaning of madness and network and then break into like the themes of network and how each individual character, except for William Holden goes mad in that film, mad with greed, mad with power, but mostly greed. William Holden is the one that gets together with Faye Dunaway or not? Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Yes. It was Peter Finch was the other the other anchor, other news guy. Does he not go mad with lust? That's a great point. <laughs> but he gets out of it. He does. He's like, he does leave. He says, he says to Faye Dunaway, he says, your madness, you are television incarnate. Yeah. And he is in the script that she is writing. Yeah. That's right. That like that's how she views the world is through this lens. And if you want to continue to apply like Donald Trump and you can go, well, it's he was great at getting headlines in reality TV and manipulating things like that. So it's almost like the country was turned into a reality TV show for a little bit. So you can look at that like this other like post postmodern thing of like we're in a show about a show about a show. WandaVision was perfect for its time. <laughs> it's all of those things, you know. But yeah, anyways, that's what I would do. I'd make like a million video essays about network and uh, pick out pick other, you know, 70s prestige dramas and go from there. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I would like to see that. That's, that's very cool. What's a movie that is underrated and needs to be seen by more people? I'll tell you a TV show. I'm stunned that it's gotten no award show clout, but uh, for all mankind, that show is incredible. That's the best dramatic series on TV, best in years, best sci-fi series since Battlestar Galactica, which was also a show run by Ronald Moore. I mean, the, the show, like, it's it's an alternative history uh, where the space race goes very differently, and the characters in the show are just rendered so well. They're so three-dimensional. Huh. Everything, you know how sometimes you watch shows and you go, that was dumb. Why'd they do that? In this mm -hmm. show, they are so careful to build up every character's decision based on their past experiences it's it's just phenomenal it's just phenomenal i can't wait that's literally the next show on my list of things to watch my friend loves it yeah you're gonna love it yeah, yeah. if i could recommend a movie to you maybe that you haven't seen because people don't talk about it that much mm -hmm. uh is run it came out last year it's i don't like calling it this but it's like a 21st century remake of misery oh where it's, it's a mother daughter and the daughter is pretty much for health reasons tied to a, a a wheelchair i've seen some of it yeah i didn't get to finish it though yeah that looked great it's from the guy that did searching yeah it was was it on hulu yeah that's where i watched it yeah that's right um looking at who was in the yeah sarah paulson was in it sarah paulson yeah and kira allen that's right i have one though i have an underrated movie it's a more recent one the florida project all right great movie and it's one of those like again it didn't get award show attention because award shows are only determined by like the amount of money people spend in marketing and things like that, they're pointless as a metric for actual quality. Yep. But the Florida Project, have you seen it? I have. Okay. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who's listening, but you talk about a movie that just like shows poverty, like what poverty actually is, but through the eyes of a child. You know, we grew up, I didn't grow up as, as poor as the people in the Florida Project, but I grew up like in a trailer uh, next to a trailer park. And it's very, you just don't, you don't see what you're actually in. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a little spoiler here. So in the Florida Project, this little girl is in, lives in a hotel uh, near Florida. 
a motel really, and lives near Disney World. They can hear Disney World. They can kind of see it, but they obviously don't have the money to go in there. If <laughs> anyone of my fa- my parents listen to this podcast, they're going to kill me here. <laughs> when I was a kid, there was one Christmas where we got a trip to Disney World, and it was it was great. Oh my God, what a great Christmas gift! And then uh, summer came, and we we didn't go yet. And then next thing I knew, I'm a kid. Like we're all waiting for the bus to school, and it occurred to me we never went to Disney World, <laughs> and they just they just dropped the ball. They just didn't really plan the trip very well. But see that, and the reason I bring up the Florida project in tandem with that is like getting to do things like going to Disney World or having a big house, whatever. When you, when you don't grow up with very much money, you see that as a thing that's not that you can't do. You know, money just money's pointless, but it means options. Sure. So when you're a kid and you grow up without that, you just for the rest of your life think I, I don't have that, you know, unless you're raised to like rise above it and stuff. So that's why in the Florida Project, it's got this terrific ending. I won't spoil, but like that movie, I think just ah, it's so good. Yeah. And no wonder those Hollywood elites didn't like it because it's all about <laughs> stealing from Disney at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they can't relate to it. They probably can't. As um movie lovers, movie nerds, we, at least in my life, I quote movies nonstop to the point my wife's like, what are you doing? I cannot keep up with what you're saying. Is there a movie line that you quote almost daily or more than any other? I mean, The Big Lebowski is kind of just always in my repertoire. Tombstone is as well. Yeah, let's go with those two. What are the lines? Oh, I mean, from Big Lebowski, you name it. The, the thing I like about those movies, especially especially Big Lebowski, is um, they don't have to be, you know, the real famous badass. Movie. Like Tombstone has badass movie quotes, like you're going to do something or just stand there and bleed. Big Lebowski has lines like, yeah, drop off went okay. Dude's car got a little banged up. <laughs> so like I could just come in from doing anything, a, a shooting gig and come in and say, yeah, shoot went all right. Dude's car got a little banged up. <laughs> it's just because that movie is not, you know, it's, it's just a series of moments that we can all relate to. So that's why it's more fun to pull quotes from that. And yeah, I mean, also you can just watch a screen crush video. We constantly cut away to different movie quotes because yes. that's how my brain works. I do love all those moments. Yeah. <laughs> that's honestly what one of the things that makes your videos stand out. That's just blatant every time. That is very enjoyable. Oh, thanks. It's almost like Family Guy where it's like quick little just 180 to something out of left field from 1984 Mac and me and, <laughs> <laughs> and you come right back. We try. It's hard when you have to pump out so many videos so quick, but we try. Is there a movie that gives you goosebumps every time you watch a scene or, or there's a moment? I really said I, I really didn't think I'd talk this much about superhero movies. But yeah, man, Adventures Endgame. Yes. You know, when the hammer and all that, it's perfect moment. It's great. That's a big goosebump one for sure. Hell yeah. 20 years in the making, if not more, however you want to calculate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got, you said nieces or nephews? Both? Yeah. Oh, I got uh, eight nieces and nephews and a great niece and a great nephew. And Yeah. Is there a particular movie that you want to show to your nieces and nephews that you like really want to sit them down, no distractions, and really like showcase the movie for them and, and see what their reaction is to it? That's a good question. Uh, I've done that before, like with uh, my oldest nephew in The Matrix. I was surprised he'd never seen it. So I sat down with him to watch it. Didn't take at that time. It might now. I have another nephew who's very into philosophy. So it would be fun to show him a movie like Network. I think Network would be a blast to show to him. The thing is, a lot of my nieces and nephews have seen these movies because their parents raised them right. (laughs) So they, you know, all the movies I would show, like they've already seen. There's always things, too, that I I mean, this might sound 
uh, you people probably say this a lot, but like everybody should watch Schindler's List. Sure. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. Like that's one, even when I first saw it, one of my first thoughts was, okay, well when they're old enough, my nieces and nephews have to see this movie because it's just like, you have to see the ugliness of hate and fascism firsthand. Yeah. That's definitely one. And just for the sheer joy of it, Dr. Strangelove, because <laughs> I, th- I don't think that's a movie that like they show very often or that people catch very often. The young, the young right, folks. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of required reading too. It's my favorite Kubrick movie. And it's, I mean, it's probably one of my top five ever, maybe my second favorite. I have to like think about it, but yeah. All right. Going back to Schindler's List. Why, why do you say that people need to see the, uh, the dark side of, or the bad side of humanity? want to know the consequences of, you know, in, in this case, turning some other group into the other. And when you look at, and I also feel a little strange talking about this because I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I'm not a member of, you know, a minority. I have not experienced any, any discrimination firsthand apart from like getting teased for reading comics, which is nothing compared to what the horrors that people go through every day. Yeah. But I think when you when a society demonizes and makes a portion of their population into the other, then the the Holocaust is what you get. But it's more than that because it's it's also doing that in your everyday. You know, there's people you, you could do it completely innocently, like you can just be like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy; he doesn't speak English. You know, like that's a hassle. When that could be the most brilliant person you've ever met, and you're not making the slightest effort to understand their accent. There's just little things like that that we all do, and I think studying the worst parts of humanity kind of inform us about when those kind of impulses start to surface in ourselves. Another thing I'm a firm believer in is that the human race is only as good as its worst person. Right. You know, was it Upton Sinclair? No, it wasn't Upton Sinclair who wrote while there's a soul in prison. I think it was Eugene Debs who said, you know, while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. You know, either we're all getting out of this or none of us are. You can't even begin to say that like, Oh, well, those people were different from us. You know, the Germans in the 1930s were the most well-read people. They had a, before Hitler came to power in the 20s, they had a thriving democracy. They had the best movies, you know, Metropolis, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Calgary. Like they were such a learned people. And yet they fell prey to this mass madness and racism and hysteria. Uh, and I, I just think that that can happen anywhere, anytime to anybody like that. Yeah. Because it's happened more than once. Armenia, you know, I, I could you just go through the list of like these awful things. Anyways, fun, fun movie podcast. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's good to get real. And, and, and I think it is, you know, it's a cheesy quote that gets said a lot, but you know, you can't appreciate the light without the dark or you can't appreciate yeah. the sunlight without the clouds. Like in Saving Mr. Banks, Paul Giamatti says, oh, but Mrs., you know, the flowers make, she's like, well, rain brings flowers. He's like, so does the sun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line from him, yeah. He's great. I love Paul Giamatti. So on the flip side of what we just talked about, what's the movie that if you had to shoot out a movie to the aliens and be like, this is the good side of humans, which movie would you choose to encapsulate that? That's a really good question. What what shows how good people can be? What's a good example of the human race? One time I, I had this HR questionnaire when I first joined this company. Not this company, a different one. And it was things like, where do you like to eat? Things like that. The first question is, what was your favorite movie? And I said, Mannequin 2 on the move. <laughs> and if you saw the movie Mannequin, but they made a sequel to it called Mannequin 2 on the move. 
and I somehow found a way to answer what's your favorite book? The novelization of Mannequin 2 on the move. And I somehow <laughs> managed to do that forever. I thought about doing that to you, but uh, nah, it's, it'd be a lot easier though. Thank you. You're welcome. Gotta admit, that would have been pretty darn funny. It would have been fast, <laughs> but it would have been pretty funny. Uh, sorry. So what well, sums up the good of humanity? Amelie is a really good example, but that's more like just one person creating good. What movie shows the good in humanity? It's funny because it's not usually a subject of movies, is it? Not unless it's like a a biopic. It's not really even then. It's not much of a subject. I'm gonna say Field of Dreams. Oh. I don't think it's like the definitive movie. It's one of the few movies I can think of where there's no direct antagonist. The antagonist is more just like not believing. Yeah, you know, it's like giving up on the dream. And the reason I say Field of Dreams is it's not a movie like that's a life role model. You, you shouldn't plow up your corn and hope that people will come pay you to look at it. <laughs> but it is a model on just realizing that the wor- the contextual world around us is not the only world that matters. You know, the world of like how you perceive the world is more important. It's kind of like Marshall McLuhan saying the medium is the message, except in this case, the way you view the world and the way you live your life is the message. So for me, humanity is great because well, we're different from the rest of from the rest of the animals for a lot of reasons. Uh, for one, we can perceive negatives, which no other animal in nature can do. We can also see things that aren't there. You know, we're very good at pattern recognition and imagine that this seed will grow and become a plant, hence domestication and, and growing crops, things like that. So that capacity for seeing things that aren't there and planning ahead and not recognizing just what's in front of you not only separates us from the animals, but it gives us the capacity to dream. And that's the main thing that separates us from the rest of nature. We are the only animal that not dreams in the literal sense, but that like imagines and moves on and can see the world through a different lens. You know, if you grew up, for instance, if you grew up poor in a hotel or living in a trailer park like me, you can't escape that day to day reality unless you dream of something better, unless you can see yourself living something different or better or moving on. Yes. It's people who are trapped in a very narrow worldview are the ones who are essentially dead to all the other possibilities that are out there. You know, I'm not saying that they're dead inside or anything that metaphorical, but if you think like a world of possibilities exists, you can live through those possibilities, but if you're not living through them, then you're dead. That's what I mean by that perception. Field of Dreams is a movie that tells people it's okay to use your imagination. It's okay to believe in things. It's okay to do something illogical. It's okay to see the person you want to be, not the person you think you're going to become because that was your father, like Ray Kinsella, but see that person you want to be and just live that life the way you want. You know, like Royal Tenenbaum would say, it's about taking it out and chopping it up and raising hell. You know, <laughs> so I think that that capacity is something that I think the aliens would be very interested in. Yeah. Because it also makes us crazy. And like that South Park <laughs> episode where Earth is just a reality TV show. If aliens can see us, that's what we are to them. We are this completely illogical race that for some reason can only perceive time in three dimensions that would just be wildly entertaining in the same way that we like watching dogs play together. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we are to these advanced creatures from the cosmos. Sorry, that was a long, that was a long way to go. I apologize for that. No, it's, it's really yeah. fascinating to, to, you know, to think about another side of field of dreams. Like people usually think about the father son relationship, mm-hmm. but um, I was talking with another movie friend last night about, you know, pursuing your dreams and, and not really giving a fuck about what people think about your aspirations. And yeah, no one really wanted Ray Kinsella to go plow his field. They thought he was insane. Yep. And 
the best possible outcome came came from that and he got to meet his father which is kind of crazy but it just goes to show you do your thing and and see what happens but not just meet his father but understand his father because he met them at the same age right like he he met his father i think he even says in the movie i'm older than my dad was when he died or something like that yes along those lines but he got to meet his father as a young man when he was the same age as his father when his father had him so that movie is also it's not just about him reconciling with his father it's about him reconciling with himself and what he sees his father as internally and what his father means to him so it's very psychological in that way and that's what i mean when i say like it teaches you to dream it's not necessarily following your dreams although that that can be part of it it's more like just recognizing why you are what you are why you think what you think you know like having the emotional intelligence to look at yourself and go oh that's why I lose my temper when this happens, recognizing it and then and then doing something else, like not being constrained by by this meat in our skull. You know, that's that's a the number one thing that he, the human beings struggle with is just overcoming the meat, overcoming our <laughs> our the, the what our brains are programming us to do to protect us. Things that's what trauma overcoming trauma is. You know, when you experience trauma, your brain puts in all these safeguards to prevent that from happening. Whereas, you know, Overcoming that trauma allows you to go out and do things that necessarily you may not have done after you went through your traumatic event. I just love Filthy Dreams. <laughs> I could talk about that movie a lot. I love that movie. And I love the soundtrack. Oh, great score. I got to go visit the field uh, a few years ago, and it was freaking magical. Oh, you did? Yeah. That's awesome. We were driving from, uh, I'm from Illinois originally, and we were driving from Colorado to Illinois. And I was like, Dad, we're like two hours away from the Field of Dreams. Can we make a pit stop? He's like, we're going to have to wake up really early. I was like, I'll wake up and drive. Don't worry. And um, we got there first thing in the morning. We had the field to ourselves for like 10 minutes before anyone else showed up. It was beautiful. Got goosebumps. Wow. I didn't play baseball, but my dad and I uh, played Frisbee a lot growing up. And My dad too. Yeah. So we had a Frisbee throw on the, on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. You got to do that with your dad. Ryan, I've got one last question for you. Lay it on me. Since the zombie hamsters are coming, you got to get to your bunker. You've got time to grab one movie or download one movie. What's the one that you can rewatch over and over in your bunker and never get sick of it? Okay. I got one movie I can watch over and over and over and never get sick of it. Mannequin 2 on the move. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, Jeez. There's so many. Honest to God, like that, that's that's a hard question because there's so many movies for me that won't get old. And I've already mentioned most of them, Tombstone Network, Dr. Strangelove, your, your original trilogy, Star Wars, your Sam Raimi Spider-Man, Superman the movie, uh, which I think is just more people need to see because that's who Superman is. He's this person who does good because it's the right thing to do. Yes. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> that's that's another one that like I endlessly will, bra- will bring me joy. Yeah, and babe. So if you're going to twist my arm, and it sounds like you are, i got to pick one. Hang on, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to look at my DVD. Because if I have a DVD or a Blu-ray in this house, you know that it's actually important to me. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, but you can't say that because it's a whole trilogy. Mad Max Fury Road, why not? Let's go with Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. Best action movie ever made. That will never get old. Never. It's such good action. <laughs> and it's got incredible pacing and never, there's never like a dull moment and beautiful cinematography. But all contributing to the storytelling. Yes. It's kind of like uh, Black Hawk Down, like, a narrative told through violence, you know, like instead of character interaction, things like that. So, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. There's one thing when I come to like think about reviewing movies, there's one category that if it checks this box, it's always an excellent movie. And if there's never 
a wasted line of dialogue or never just a wasted moment. It's, it'll always be in the top of my lists. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. What's your answer for that? Your bunker movie? <sighs> There's three. It's not so not so easy, is it? <laughs> well, for this current year, at this current moment, it would be Back to the Future. Okay, that's great. I've seen that so many times. So many times. I, I rented out one of the AMCs here in LA for, you know, for a hundred bucks to take some friends to go watch it. Certain things about the pandemic I will miss. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that movie gets better every time I watch it. No joke, no cliche. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things to look at, so many jokes that you didn't know were happening off just off the main character's shoulder. I love it. Yeah. I recently rewatched the whole trilogy because I saw an outdoor screening of Back to the Future. Oh. And I then I was just reading up on it and I didn't realize that Crispin Glover was supposed to play Seamus McFly. Really? Which would have been way better. Yeah. It would have been <laughs> way better because for one thing, you end up with this weird thing where Marty is married to his mom, which is sort of, I guess, kind of the subtext of Back to the Future. But also that part, you know, the first Back to the Future was about Marty teaching George to fight. You know, as a part of the subtext. And you had that little moment where he, yeah, George, uh, you did this thing. And then you look at Back to the Future 3, and it's about George McFly now taking over that mentor father figure role that he wasn't strong enough to have in the first movie Mm. and then teaching Marty not to fight, you know, not to kill. And then he still gets to do this little punch thing at the end, you know, and it's, it's, it would work so much better than seeing like Michael J. Fox in a derby and a red mustache doing the worst (laughs) Irish accent I've ever heard. I'll even give you a hat. (laughs) Well, you're right. You're right. (laughs) That's probably the line that I quote the most from that trilogy anyways. And that's not even Crispin Glover. Yeah, exactly. I know. And that blew, that was one of these like blew my mind when I got older. Like Never knew it. Learning the Beatles didn't do the voices in the Yellow Submarine, <laughs> things like that, you know. All right, Ryan, it is time to lock up your capsule. And since uh, this is a low budget show, I need you to provide the foley of your capsule closing. Perfect. Love it. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Your capsule is closed. Um, I really appreciate your time. I know you are a super busy man. You've got movies to watch, movies to make. Is there anything that you want to tell us about that's coming up that um, that you're creating or making that we should be on the lookout for? Sure. Well, in addition to Screen Crush, the YouTube channel and the website, I have a podcast that I have not made a new episode of in a long time, but it's a, a narrative podcast. It's like a radio play podcast that I've been working on so long I started it before these things were popular. Uh, it's called it's called Rick Pulsar, Galactic Night of Space Justice. Uh, the first season's out. First three episodes of season two are out. And the third one, um, I'm working on uh, the fourth, fourth episode I'm working on. They're all written and recorded. They're just a bitch dad. Yeah. So check that out. It's on iTunes and YouTube and Facebook and much. And where can people find you on Twitter? At Ryan Airy, A-R-E-Y. I got in there early. Yeah, that's super important because they're going like hotcakes. Yeah, well, I could probably sell that domain now for a cool hundred bucks. <laughs> if you want a recap of Ryan's capsule choices, you can go to lukechaney.com slash MTC. And thank you to you for listening. I hope this episode encourages you to check out some new movies or revisit some old ones. Lastly, here's one final piece of trivia. Name the movie that this line comes from. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.